If you have a Bible, you can turn it to the book of Lamentations. And I know that may not be a book that you're real familiar with, uh, but it is in the Bible. And so I believe that we should be able to use it to get closer to God and to understand him. And uh, so that's what we're going to try to do. But uh, yesterday I learned an amazing lesson uh, from my oldest son, who's four. His name is Liam, and he's right over here with my beautiful, li- my, my beautiful wife. Honey, would you just, just be glorious over there so everybody can? Yes, she's amazing. We actually, on, uh, when was it Sunday, we just happened to be in our, our church. Uh, we attend a church. Uh, our program attends a church in Long Island. Everybody goes to the same place. And uh, the, the place that I actually proposed to my wife 10 years ago, uh, we were actually, we had a church picnic and it was in the same park and in the same pavilion. And it was the day before the 10-year anniversary of when I proposed to her. And so it was like we had this revelation when we were there, and uh, it was really amazing because I realized it first. And so it was kind of like, you know, usually the man's not the one that remembers that kind of stuff. And so it was, uh, was kind of like... Uh, I don't know, I think it was just the anointing of the Spirit to, to throw me a bone, you know, to like help me out, help me actually remember a date and something important. So men who are out there, this is free for you today. If you can just remember a date, just one of them, like the date you, you got married, you know, the day your child was born, a birthday, something, just pick one because it's hard. I don't think we can remember more than one. So pick one and make it good. And I think it'll be good. But I learned a lesson from him uh, because for some reason, he's like the theologian of the family and he's four years old and we were sitting down, getting ready to sit down to dinner and uh, he was just not wanting to eat the dinner, you know, that had been provided for him. And he was kind of pushing back and that's nothing, you know, out of the ordinary for him. Uh, he's kind of picky and I, I was a little bit that way when I was a kid, but uh, he didn't really want to eat it and he was kind of fighting and then finally he gave into it and we sat down to pray and he's, he's the one that generally prays for us for our meals. And so when he began to pray, he prayed for a few things and then he said, and God help us to do the things that we don't want to do. And I was like, (laughs) my son's a better Christian than I am. (laughs) Ah, That's what you get when you have four-year-olds, man. And uh, it's just, when you hear those kinds of things, it's like those moments that God takes the opportunity to just like shoot an arrow right through your heart. You know, because me, I I mean, it's like, I, I don't even know when the last time I prayed a prayer like that was. So simple, so, you know, just believing, so just, it's like, hey, man, God is there. If I could, maybe if I just ask him to help me eat my spaghetti, am I just crazy enough that maybe he'll help me do it? I want to have that kind of faith. I want to be able to believe God for such simple things, because if I can believe for God to help me to eat my spaghetti as a four-year-old... He's on the right track. But I think that prayer is fitting for us for where I want to go today when we talk about Babylon. Help us to do the things that we don't want to do because how, how many of you, I know this is true for myself, but when you find yourself in a difficult situation, you don't always want to follow the prescription that God provides to get you out of that situation. Too many times I know in my own life, in my own situation, I get into tough times and, it's, and, and God is not always the first place that I run. And I know that that's not something that a preacher is supposed to admit while he's standing on a stage in front of, in a microphone. We're supposed to stand up here and make everybody believe that we've got it all together and we have no problems and we've got Jesus on speed dial, but that's just not always the way that it is. We're real people. And for some reason, something inside of me, maybe it's just because I'm a dumb guy, is that when I get into a difficult situation, especially when I cause the situation, I'm like, I got to take control of this and do it on my own. 
But God has the prescription. God has the process. God has, has, has the plan in mind to deliver me because that's always God's heart and desire. It doesn't matter what we get ourselves into. God's desire and plan for us is always redemption. Always. It doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what it looks like and what's going on around us or what he leads us into. The end game is always redemption. And we can trust in that and we can believe in that. And so with my heart as we enter this and today I muster all of the faith of a four-year-old and I say, God, help us to do the things that we don't want to do and to trust in you. And so this morning as we dig into this, I want to help just through some experiences of some of my own failures at this particular thing that I'm talking about this morning uh, and also through scripture to help to equip you because this might not be a message of a place that you are at in this moment but I guarantee if you follow God long enough unless your name is Jesus you might fall into one of these seasons at one point or another and I want you to be prepared and equipped to make it out better than I have done at times in my own life so when Babylon comes, you might say, well, what in the world does that mean? I know Babylon is a town in Long Island, but we're gonna, this is a different Babylon. When Babylon comes, it means that life gets really ugly because of our own brokenness. Come on, has life ever gotten ugly because of your brokenness, because of your decisions, because of the hand, the, the, the hand that life has dealt you? And you got into situations, you got into moments that you just didn't understand. And maybe even you began to feel or believe that God had his hand upon you and he was hemming you in and he was, and it, and it, and it was frustrating you and you got even angry at him about the circumstances that you found yourself in, even though you knew that it may be something that you deserved. And we get into those moments and those, these are our Babylon moments where we're forced to do things that we don't want to do because we're forced, as I said before, to go through the process that God has brought us into to bring us healing and deliverance. We have not responded to God's gracious warnings and we feel distant from God. Anybody ever felt distant? And I'm so grateful for the word this morning. God is not distant. Our perception of him is sometimes out of order, but God is never distant. And it's oftentimes when we feel so broken when we're the nearest to him, because the nearer that we get to him, the greater that we understand our brokenness. And understanding our brokenness is not a bad thing. The bad thing is when we refuse to, get, let, uh, to give God our brokenness. It's a good thing to be broken before God. It's a good thing to have a place to take our brokenness to, and his name is Jesus. But we feel distant from God. We feel the weight of our life. We feel the weight of our circumstances. We feel the weight of our sin. And sometimes we get into that place, and the worst thing happens that could ever happen. God is completely silent. You get into that place and you're, you're digging in and you're praying, God, what is going on? I don't understand. God, I, I, I know I messed up, but I, I got back into church. I know I messed up, but God, I said a prayer. I, 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 I apologize. God, I, I gave a little extra money. Isn't, 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 there, isn't that what I needed to do? And God is silent. 
And I want to talk about that this morning. Why is, does God remain silent? And why is it important for us to go through that, that place? But our natural response, I have three natural responses. This is kind of the nerdy preacher inside of me that was trained by people who are a lot older than I am, who, you know, from years ago, and you have to have like three words that are alliterated and all that sort of stuff. So our, our three natural responses to these moments are, number one, is that we like to fight against it. And we fight against it, we get anger and we get bitter and we, we get frustrated at God and we think that we have to take control and maybe God doesn't know what he's doing and, I, if I, and I'm not going to let him in because the pain is enough. God, you've already given me more than I can handle and your Bible says that you'll never give us more than we can handle, but God, here I am standing in this place and I don't think that you've got it all together so I'm going to fight against this, I'm going I'm to take it and we get the angerness and the bitterness or we try to fix it ourselves. We come up with our own prescription like... I don't think I like where you're going with this, God. So let me just, you know, let me just go around the mountain instead of go over the mountain. And we try to try to wander ourselves through the desert. And that is where pride and rebellion set in. And then sometimes, if you're like me, we like to flee. We like to run from God. We fear creeps in and the doubt creeps in about, about God and about our situation, about if we're going to be able to make it through to the other side. What are people going to think? What's my family going to think? What is my church community going to think? How is this all going to turn out? And it all comes to head at a single place, and it's in God's grace where he says the time for this is to be, to be over is now. And so Babylon comes. I'm going to get there in just a minute. And I want to just give a disclaimer as we head into this. I know this is kind of a heavy topic, and it's always you know, a scary thing to, to step into a, a church as a guest on some, with some sort of a heavy topic, but this is not a God is angry at you message. This is a God, our Father loves you message. This is a message that says God knows us as his children, and he knows what we need. And I believe that our Father does want to prosper us and prosper his children, and not like the American version of that, that evil junk that gets spread around. Even though I saw a Mercedes the other day that I told Jesus, like, well, if this other thing, this name acclaim it thing ever becomes real, like, you know, I just want to get the word in. But he knows us. And he knows as our father that the time for this to stop is now before more damage is done. And we have a son. And I think everybody at one point or another, when you have kids, you have one child like this. He is the greatest he is a lovable kid. He is happy. He has a lot of fun, but he has absolutely zero boundaries, and he, he knows no rules. And it's not that he's mean about it. It's not that he's a bad kid. It's just that it just doesn't really matter. He's got his own plan and his own way of doing it, and when you give him punishment, he's just going to look at you and just be kind of like, yeah, that, wasn't, that was worth it. I can handle that. Come on. You know, spank me, do something. Come on, I can handle this. He's always weighing it in his mind. Like, if I do this and they do this, like, I think I got it. And that's the way that he is. And he, he, he's in this, 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 uh, this season right now where we've got him in, in a crib and we haven't moved him into a bed yet because he's already in this place in his crib to where he's just climbing out over and over and over. We take him in and say, all right, it's time to go to bed. And he lays in there. And then, and then just like literally within like two minutes, he's walking into the living room just like, hey, everybody, I'm here. Like, what's going on? And he's just, and he knows that he's going to get in trouble. 
He knows that it's coming. And so as a parent, you just get to that place where it's just like, man, I've had enough. I can't deal with this anymore. This child, I mean, this might be the end for him. And it just, it's just, I, you know, and so we take him in and we discipline him and so on and so forth. But one time I, he, I, he saw me and I got up and I started walking after him. He took off running into his room and he gets on the other side of the room and I'm walking towards him and he's like doing this because there's like a little game in the middle. And then I get real close to him and then all of a sudden he just stops and he goes, and he puts his hands up and I'm looking down at him. And he's got these big giant brown eyes that his mommy gave him. And it's just like, how in the world could I ever be upset or angry at this kid? But it doesn't change the fact that I know as his father that there is discipline that needs to take place now while it is something little before it turns into something greater. There is, and it needs to happen within this relationship so that he can be given the ability to trust and given the ability to draw closer to his father. And so today we're going to talk about that What does it mean when Babylon comes? And so just for a second, before we get to Lamentations, because there's a lot there, I want to just lay just a little bit of historical ground for you so you can see what it meant for Israel and to see how this lines up with where we are. You know that when God delivered the nation of Israel out of Egypt and he brought them to the promised land, the first thing that they did was they looked around to the other nations and they saw that the way that they were established and that they had kings and they said, we need a king to rule over us. And God was like, no, you don't. This is going to happen. It's going to be bad for you. He's going to tax you and he's going to take your land and all that stuff. And they're like, no, no, no. We've got to be like the other nations. We need a king. And so he gave them what they wanted. And just three kings later, the whole nation had fallen apart. It, it, It was divided. And so it was split up into two different kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And there was a few kings, the line of kings down to this time that I'm going to get into when Babylon comes. There was many different kings from both nations and there was some good, but mostly they were evil kings that continued to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And and first Judah was conquered by Egypt under Solomon's son Rehoboam because they did evil. Then Judah was conquered by Syria under Ahaz because of wickedness and idolatry. Then Judah was conquered again by Assyria under Manasseh. And uh, even though God spoke to them, it says that Manasseh and the people paid no attention to him and they continued in their ways. They continued ignoring the call of God and the warnings of God. And then there was a man. And I am a firm believer that before God brings any kind of judgment or punishment on anyone or any people in throughout history, I'm not a believer in this fact that, oh, there's wickedness going on and so God just sends a hurricane or something. That is not biblical and I just, I don't believe. I believe that God steps forward and he calls out to his people. He uses the prophetic voice of the church, which is love to reach out to the people and to reach out to the neighborhoods and to reach out to the communities and he might allow some rulers or some laws or something to take place for a while, but there's always one. There's always a voice that God steps back in with and says, but this is what it will look like. Remember when it was good. Remember when you followed me because he wants to bring them back, not just to scare us. God's desire is not to scare us into righteousness. God's desire is to love us there. And so even though he allows us to walk through seasons and times that are difficult, there's always a voice that comes in to woo us and to call out to us and to get us back on the right path. And this man's name was Josiah. Because Josiah stepped in as the king and everything had been torn apart. Everything had been broken down to a point because they had been uh, devastated by the attacks from Assyria. 
But as they were digging into the temple and as they were, they were trying to pull things together, they found the book of the law. And they had gotten to a point as a nation that they didn't even realize or remember the things that God had given them to, 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 to establish them as a nation and what it was that they were supposed to follow. But Josiah, as a good man, said, hey, we've got to get these things going again. We've got to worship God the way that he's supposed to. We've got to reestablish this covenant. We've got to enter back into this relationship if we're going to succeed. And so he began this process. But there was a problem because it only went so far. And there was still something within the nation that wanted out. There was still something within the nation that wanted control of the situation. And so when Egypt came up from the south to partner with Assyria to fight against these foreign entities, uh, Israel and Judah being under Assyria saw an opportunity, Josiah saw an opportunity that maybe if we don't allow Egypt to come up and to partner with Assyria, Assyria will get defeated and we will be free. This is not what they were supposed to do. And even the leader of Egypt said, why are you coming against us? We're not here to fight against you. This is, this is not why we're here. Go away from us. But Josiah persisted. And this was the final straw. Josiah was killed. And after that, his son Jehoaz was made king, but he was taken into captivity and Egypt made a man named Jehoiakim king, but he did evil and he took it another step. There was a prophet named Jeremiah that God had given to the people to speak to them and to warn them. And Jehoiakim burned the scrolls that Jeremiah had written all the prophecies down in and written all the words down in. And so they were sliding in. Instead of getting nearer to God and pursuing him, they were, they were running, they were fleeing, they were fighting. And Jehoiakim was, was taken captive, and, his, and then Jehoiachin was put in that place, and he did evil, and then Babylon took Jehoiachin, and they made his brother Zedekiah king, and this is where it all just completely fell apart, because in the midst of all of this nonsense, and in the midst of all this fighting against Assyria and Egypt, there was another nation that was coming in named Babylon. And I want you to see the progression here, because I don't want to diminish or minimize the pain that Israel felt in walking through this situation, but there's a pattern here that relates directly to us as we follow God. Israel's success as a nation, once they had gotten to the point to where they had sinned against God and God began to discipline them and God began to try to draw them in, their success no longer was only upon whether or not they followed God as their king, but whether or not they submitted to the refining agent or the foreign nation that God brought in to refine them. And so first it was Assyria, or first it was Egypt, and then it was Assyria. And when it finally got to the last moment, the final straw, God brought in Babylon. And with each and every one of the, 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 the conquerings that they faced, everyone got a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse until God said, enough is enough. And Babylon came. And I want to share with you this morning that I've been in these moments where maybe I allowed things into my life or I made certain decisions, or maybe I just didn't take care of some things in my life that I knew I needed to take care of. I didn't pay attention. I didn't give eye to things that I knew that God was calling me to give eye to. 
I began to be happy with the amount of progress that I had made as an individual growing up with a broken family, growing up with addiction, and growing up with all kinds of problems. I, was, I began to be content in the progress that I had made and did not heed the warnings of the other places because of fear, because of doubt, because of my desire to fight and to fix things. And so little by little, God brought in the Assyrians and the Egypts. And with every single time, God showed his love even more and even more by taking me deeper, by taking me deeper, by reaching further inside, by giving me a stronger warning, by trying to pull me out, by trying to call my name. But with each one, I persisted in my choice to go the direction that I was going. And then God brought Babylon. And my desire for you this morning is to get to a place that you don't have to wait for Babylon to come, that you will hear the voice of the Lord and recognize the love that the Father has for you and you will run to him and that you will find healing and mercy in your time of need. But we can easily get to those points because we're broken. We can easily get to those points because we are people, we are flesh, we, are, we, have, we have sin that dwells inside of us. And so it's so easy to take our eyes off of our God and off of our Father and off of our Creator and put it onto things in this world that we think are going to, to save us or we think that are going to fulfill us or we think that are going to provide something for us that maybe God cannot and we justify or, we, or, 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 or whatever the case may be. And so when Babylon comes, their future began to depend upon whether or not they would submit to Babylon. This foreign entity that God had brought in to, to refine them. And as they began to reject the voice of the Lord and they began to fight against Babylon, it was their fighting against Babylon that equated their fighting against God. See, we get it twisted. And we hear these different words in our own lives and we think, well, when Babylon comes, when tough time comes, we just have to dig in our heels. We just have to rise up in faith and we just have to pray hard and we just have to work and we have to do all these things. But I want to submit to you this morning that, your, that repentance is your willingness to submit to Babylon moments. Because there's a process that God wants to bring you through that leads you to repentance and leads you to salvation. See, we get it twisted. We think that if I just come to the front and say I'm sorry, then that's repentance. It's all over and, and, and there's nothing else to be done. And that's true in a sense. There is a reestablishment or a connection with God, but there is something much deeper that God wants to do because he knows if he doesn't refine us and if he doesn't work those things out of us, then it doesn't matter how many times we apologize. It doesn't matter how many times and how strongly we feel bad about it. Those things and those issues still remain inside of us. And so this, as scripture says, the father disciplines those that he loves. And just like when I discipline my own sons, I do it because I love them and I know what's best for them. But God moved in their lives. And I want to read, uh, you don't have to put it up. I didn't, I didn't give it to you to, uh, to put up on the screen, but I'm going to read uh, just so you can get a picture of this in Second Chronicles, and then we're going to jump into Lamentations. We're going to run through that and get, get some you know, powerful principles to walk through this, and then we're going to pray and worship. But in Second Chronicles 36, 11, when Zedekiah, he was the last one that came in that rebelled, and it was the last straw, and ba Babylon came with all of their fury. 
says Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. All of the officers of the, and, uh, uh, of the priest and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all of the abominations of the nation, and they polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. Verse 15, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently, everybody says persistently, persistently, the floor of the Father sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. That sounds harsh. And all of us would probably deny the fact that we would mock God or despise his words. But we have to come to the realization that when God reaches out to us and tries to bring correction, if we deny the words that he's given us, we are mocking him and we are rejecting his word just the same. And so as God begins to speak out and begins to reach out to us, what is our response going to be? But I find it interesting, as the scripture says, he persistently reached out to them because he loved them and he had compassion on them. And that's the way that we need to see our God. And it is there in this place when Babylon stepped in and utterly destroyed and defeated them and brought them to the end that Lamentations comes in. Because Lamentations is written from a people that have experienced the devastation of God and could not even believe the place that they had fallen to or that God even allowed it. They looked around and they said, God, we know it's our fault, but this is so bad. God, aren't we the people of the promise? God, aren't we your children? God, don't we have covenant with you? But we need to understand that God takes our lives so seriously because he loves us so deeply. And so I want to talk just for a few moments about the process of submitting to repentance in our lives. And we're going to read here Lamentations chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 20. And we're going to gain some tools this morning to walk through the process of repentance and walk through the process of returning to the Lord. Because if, if we don't, there is such drastic destruction that can come in, but we're going to find out what happens if we do. But the first one, verse 20, he says, after he talks about the affliction and the devastation of the nation, in verse 20 he says, my, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. The first thing that you have to do when you get into a Babylon moment where everything just seems to be going wrong and you feel distant from God, the first thing that you need to do is remember. The first thing that you need to do is remember. Because if you don't remember and to put into perspective where you are and how you got there, then there is absolutely no possibility that you can get to the place that God wants to take you. We first must understand who I, where we are and why it is that I'm in this position because the alternative is to blame it on God or to blame it on somebody else. And by remembering, we take power away from the enemy to use it against us and we, and we empower ourselves 
to focus on and determine ourselves to overcome the things in our life that have, have had us bound by remembering. Verse 21, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The first thing to do is remember. The second thing to do is to call. And this is what I mean by that. This phrase here in the scripture does not just mean, oh yeah, I remember. It's not just a thought that just pops into our mind. What he's saying here is that he had to force himself. He had to call it up from the depths of his soul that I have hope in God. That though I may find myself in a devastating situation, I know that God is for me. I will bring this to remembrance. I will call this to mind. I will force myself to remember and to believe because when we think about what we have done to offend God, we must also encourage ourselves and strengthen ourselves in the Lord and say, I will remember and believe how the goodness of our God. Because it's only that that will see us through to the other side. Verse 22, the steadfast, the, this is our hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We remember and we call to mind the mercies and the faithfulness of the Lord. But what you have to realize is that the, it is purposeful that he says his mercies are new every morning. See, we get to the place to where we feel like we've done so much that we've ruined it and that we have to somehow beat ourselves up or we have to somehow provide some sort of sacrifice or go through some sort of thing to make, to make God happy with us again. But God, every single day, though he allows us to struggle, makes new mercies. And he renews. Why? Because love keeps no record of wrongs. And he says, today is a new opportunity. Yes, yesterday may have been bad, but guess what? There's new mercy for today if you will just reach out and take it. But we don't in our fear, in our fighting, in our desire to flee or to run. The mercy is there. It's up to our perception, our ability, our willingness to submit and to receive and to surrender to what God has for us. So we, we remember, we call to mind the hope that we have in God, that his mercies are new. Verse 25, I, yes, I'm skipping one. I'll get back to it in just a moment. Verse 25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. This next one to do is to seek the Lord. To run to, what does scripture say? The hills where comes my help. To run to the healing waters of Jesus. To sit down and to touch the hem of the garment. There's so many things in scripture that talk about seeking the Lord and what we must do in our time of need. I remember why I'm here. I call to the Lord and I strengthen myself in, in, in the process and who God is. I remember that he's my hope, that he has new mercies for me and I run to him and I seek him and I cry out to him and I pour my soul out to him because there's absolutely nothing else I can do on my own. And I center myself and I give myself the perspective that I need to, for God to walk through this. Verse 26, it is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the, uh, to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And here's one of the most powerful scriptures in, in, in the entire book, I believe. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. 
So the last thing that you do when you've positioned yourself and you've sought God, and I know that many of you have been into that place where you've been seeking and then you get to that moment, and and this is where I was talking about before, where God is absolutely and completely silent. And in the moment, the only thing that you can do is embrace the silence and trust God's heart. Embrace the silence and trust God's heart. Why? Number one, because I believe the silence of God is the most incredible tool of spiritual excavation that there is. I don't know if you're like me, but have you ever sat in a, in maybe a, to eat with somebody or stood next to somebody you just met and you're like, hey, my name is so-and-so and they're just like, they don't say a word. It's just like quiet and you're like, what's wrong with this person? Why aren't they talking? I'm so uncomfortable right now. Good thing I have my phone. I can pull it, you know, Facebook. Oh yeah, I just got a phone call. Let me, you know, we get all anxious and we get all, it's like, what's going on? There's silence. I can't deal with it. But I need to, I want to tell you that learning to walk in his silence is much more important than learning to walk in his speaking. It's easy to walk when God is speaking, when God is moving, when there are miracles happening around us, when everything is going good. But I need, I don't know, maybe this is just me personally, I need to learn how to follow God when everything is, is falling apart, when it seems like God is silent, when it seems like heaven is against me, when my prayers don't seem like they're going anywhere, when nothing is going right. I need to learn how to do this. And it's God being silent that forces us into that uncomfortable position of trying to figure out what it is that God is saying. Because even in his silence, God speaks. And sometimes the greatest thing that God ever says is out of his silence. And I believe that he doesn't offer words of compassion because we've seen that in scripture, in the book of Job. He doesn't offer words of, passion, or com, of, of compassion. He doesn't offer words of, of promise. He doesn't offer words of this is how you're supposed to get out of this. And I believe that he doesn't do this. And I believe that the, why the author of Lamentations wrote the book in this way that God is silent is because we need to understand that God's not there to offer us words. He's there to offer us his presence. In Jeremiah chapter 42, it says that God is sorry. And he's burdened by the fact that the destruction had to come upon the people. He's burdened by the fact that things got so bad that as a father, he had to do what he had to do. And none of what he did, Scripture tells us, comes from his heart. This is what I was saying. When I discipline my children, I don't discipline them. My heart is not one that says, I'm ready. I'm going I'm to beat them. I'm going to discipline them. This is why I'm here. This is what I'm made for. And we get that thought of God, like he's the, 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 the proverbial giant up, up, up with the microphone or magnifying glass, and we're the ants, that God's just there to strike us down. By script, this scripture tells us that that is the, the furthest thing from the truth because he does not discipline from his heart. His heart is always one of love. His heart is always one of compassion, always one is, that is for him, but his wisdom knows when enough is enough and time, the time is right for us to turn things around and just at the right moment. So in the times where we're broken and everything's falling apart and it's silence, God is not speaking because he's on the ground weeping with us. He's on the ground crying with us. He's on the ground feeling the pain because he felt the pain on the cross, the suffering servant that went there for us to really take upon himself the greatest amount of the punishment and the discipline that we don't even realize was for us. We get frustrated in a moment. We get frustrated in a single moment because of our feelings and our brokenness and we think that God is just so heavy on us. But the reality is, is we're not even experiencing the smallest fraction 
of the discipline and the punishment that God has for us in a moment because Jesus has absorbed it all. We're just getting this tiny little amount of it and that's all that we can handle, but Jesus took the rest for us. But I want to tell you there is so much hope and if we do, if we, if we repent and if we're willing to submit to the process and submit to our Babylon moments and submit to those times where everything seems like it's falling apart, we have a, 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 a byproduct here in the New Testament. I'm gonna ask, I think, is my wife or some, if she can, can she, okay, or somebody wants to come play the, uh, the keys, we're almost done. In the New Testament, we find a parallel of this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 when Paul is dealing with the church. And he tells them this in, in verse 9 through 11. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you. What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong. In everything you demonstrated yourself to be innocent in the matter. These people were not innocent in the matter. These people had received harsh rebuke from Paul, but it was in their desire and their willingness to submit to the voice of the one who brought the message, and that's Titus, and to submit what it was that he was saying to them with his teaching and these words from Paul. It was their willingness to respond and to, to, to go through the process. This says that, 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 any, that, that the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance. That means there's a starting place. The emotion and the will, this, this fight and the struggle within us is the, is the beginning. That's not the end. That's not the repentance. Too often we stop there. And because we felt bad, it should be enough. But Jesus is saying that's the beginning point. There's a process now that I want to bring you through that if you just trust me, that you'll find a repentance without regret. You'll find the repentance that, that, that is in line with the love that I have for you that keeps no record of wrongs. You'll be able to stand before me with a clear conscience. And you'll be able to forget it. You'll be able to be free. And you will have vindication. And you will be indignant of what happened. You will have longing and zeal. Because of the process that you trusted me with. So my call for you today and there's three responses that I have, and I'm not going to call anyone out, anything out specifically. You can go ahead and stand.